Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. You know, it's, it's funny, if, you, uh, if, you've, if you're newer to Jacobswell, this fellowship time might seem weird, and I think we forget that it's weird, but it is a valuable part of our worship service to commune with one another, and so uh, we really appreciate it. It's a way for us to get to know you, and you get to get to know us as well. When I was growing up, uh, I used to have to walk to school uh, just about every day. And uh, in my recollection, I, I thought school was probably three or four miles away. And so I, uh, I searched Google Maps and found out that it was, that is a half mile away. Um, but I, I, regardless of that, I guarantee you it was uphill both ways. And I had to go through the burning hot snow blizzard to get there and back. Um, but anyway, so, so I would go to and from school every day walking or riding my bike. And I remember one time I was walking to school and I did this cut through where I had to go through a common ground and then through people's backyards, which means I probably shouldn't have done it. But I remember I was looking down and I looked up and in front of my face, about six inches hanging from a tree was a snake. And I don't know if it was a living snake or a dead snake. I don't know if it was a snake skin. I don't know if it was a fake snake. All I know is I saw a snake. And I screamed and I cried and I ran the remaining 10 miles to my elementary school. Fear is a very powerful emotion. I had a common experience just, just a few years ago. Some of you have heard the story. I was jogging the path around UWGB and this, uh, this chicken comes out or turkey, turkey, turkey comes out. And, uh, and starts chasing me, and I know that this turkey is going for my eyeballs. And so I run, and I run, and I run as fast as I have ever run since I saw that snake in elementary school. And so fear is a very powerful motivator. I would say fear and love are the two most motivating things in our world. We know that fear is powerful um, because people use it to their advantage. Athletes use fear to intimidate the other team. Politicians use fear to demonize their opponent. Advertisers use fear to sell their products, and they do this because they know fear is so extremely powerful. And it's for that reason that it is no surprise that the scriptures talk a lot about fear. They tell us what not to fear and what to fear. It's interesting, the scripture really doesn't give us a choice to fear or to not fear at all, but really what to fear. But here are a couple passages that may be familiar to you. First, the fear not passages. Deuteronomy 31 says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. That is their enemy. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Isaiah 41 
Fear not, for I am with you. Joshua 1.9, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so those are the fear not passages. And then there are the fear passages, where we should direct our fear. In Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Job 28, the fear of the Lord is, that is wisdom. Psalm 33, let all the earth fear the Lord. Psalm 112, blessed is the man who fears the the Lord. And to summarize what the Bible says about fear is that we shall fear not our enemies or our circumstances, but we should fear the Lord. And this is repeated. If you've read the Bible, you know it's repeated throughout Scripture time and time again. And here's the reason why it's because we often invert the two, don't we? What do we fear? We fear circumstances, we fear our enemies and we don't fear the Lord. And so in today's passage, David is going to exhort us in the midst of worship to fear the Lord. If you would please open up to Psalm chapter 34. If you are in the red Bible, it is page 463. Again, if you don't have a Bible, you will need one. Feel free to get up and grab one from the back. Um, if you remember just the context of Psalm 34, we covered the first eight verses last week, but the context is that David is running for his life. Uh, Saul, king of Israel, is chasing after David, uh, not because David's done something wrong, but because Saul has lost the favor of God and of the people, and David has gained the favor of God and of his people. And so Saul is jealous of David and pursuing David with his troops to kill David. And so David is running for his life, and he flees to the worst place possible. He flees to Gath. Gath is a city in, the, in Philistia, which is full of Philistines, kind of the arch enemy of the people of God. But even worse than that, Gath is the hometown of Goliath. Uh, if you're familiar with the story of David and Goliath, you know what happens. Goliath dies. And so David flees to his hometown. They recognize who he is, and the king uh, is made aware of this. And David, somehow prompted by the Lord, decides, I'm going to act crazy. And so he starts drooling on his beard. He starts scratching at doors. And through this, the king says, I have enough mad people to deal with. David, send him away. And so David flees, and he goes to the caves of Adullam where his family gathers with him. And it's probably in these caves that David writes this psalm. Now, last week, we covered the first eight verses of this psalm. And the first eight verses uh, was a celebration, calling on God's people to exalt God together at all times in good and in bad for God's glory and for our enjoyment of him. Today, we are going to focus on the second part of the psalm, and it is in the context of praising the Lord that David directs the people of God to fear the Lord. And so there is some way, somehow, a crucial and proportional link between our fear of the Lord and our exaltation of the Lord in our life. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So look with me, if you would, Psalm 34 we're going to be reading verses 9 through 22. This is God's word. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and love many days that he may see good? 
Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray. Lord, I confess for myself and I think others here that there is a gap in our fear of you. Uh, that, that we treat your word lightly, that we teach it, treat it casually, that we treat you casually. And yet, because of that, we are so overcome with fears of other people's opinions and finances and whatever it might be, Lord. And so God, pray through your Holy Spirit that you would grow a godly fear in us for you, Lord, and that we would live, that we would live joyfully in congruence with that fear. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Before we dive into this topic of fear from the passage, I think it's important that we first establish what the Bible means by fear. Specifically, what does it mean when it calls us to fear the Lord? When it says that we are to fear the Lord, does it mean that we are to be scared of the Lord as if like a wild animal was attacking us and we would run away? It's interesting because in Isaiah 33, 6, it says the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And so in this psalm, um, the fear of the Lord is what leads us to worship him, to enjoy God and to treasure God. And so being scared uh, doesn't lead to those things. Being scared leads to a state of panic, of fight and flight, but it doesn't lead to pleasure and enjoyment and treasuring of that thing. And so the question is, what does the Bible mean when it says that we are to fear the Lord? Uh, Pastor Tim Keller is very helpful on this. He has a quote. It will be up here on the screen. It says, can you go back one slide? I think we, there we go. All right. Obviously to be in fear of the Lord is not to be scared of the Lord. Okay. When we're scared of something, we want to flee and run away from it. The fear of the Lord draws us closer. All right. He goes on and says, even though the Hebrew word has overtones of respect and awe, fear in the Bible means to be overwhelmed, to be controlled by something. To fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God and his love. It continues and says, it means that because of his bright holiness and magnificent love, you find him fearfully beautiful. That is why the more we experience God's grace and forgiveness, the more we experience a trembling awe and wonder before the greatness of all that he is and has done for us. Fearing him means bowing before him out of amazement at his glory and beauty. And so what does it mean 
for a believer to fear God. It is not a fear of the Lord that the Lord will destroy us or harm us, but it is a basking in his awesomeness and power and love. It would be the difference between fearing a good father and a bad father. In both cases, children fear their father, and they should fear their father. But if you have a bad father, you don't only fear your father, you are afraid of your father because you are afraid that he's going to come after you, maybe to beat you. Maybe you're afraid that he's going to manipulate you to get you into what he wants you to do. Maybe you're afraid that he's going to leave and never come back because he is a bad father. And so not only do you fear him, but you are afraid of him. But with a good father, there's also a fear. There is a healthy fear. A father who loves his children unconditionally. A father who can open pickle jars and lift heavy objects. A father who will discipline their child, not out of anger or frustration, but out of love. A father who will not allow his child to grow up to be lazy or immoral. And at the same time, a father whom you know will never leave you. See, children are not afraid of such a loving father, but they do fear him because of his power because of his wisdom, because of his love. It is this type of fear that the scriptures call the people of God to. And so from this psalm, I want to answer three questions. Number one, who should fear the Lord? Two, how should we fear the Lord? And three, why should we fear the Lord? So who, how, and why should we fear the Lord? And as we answer these three questions, the hope of the psalmist and of me and of the Lord is that our fear of the Lord would grow in awe and wonder, and lead us to a greater enjoyment and exaltation and worship of the Lord. So first, who should fear the Lord? Look at verse six with me. He says, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And so first we see that those who should fear the Lord are those who are poor. Now in this context, I don't think David is talking about being financially poor, although he probably is. Rather, if you look at the rest of verse 6, he says, The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I think David is talking about those who are salvifically poor, those who cannot save themselves. David knows that he was in a situation before the king of Gath in which he was doomed, and he had no way to get out of it without the grace of God. He knew that he was salvifically impoverished, and so he cries out to the Lord. I don't know if you remember this from this past winter, but there was a bunch of ice fishermen off of Sturgeon Bay, and a huge chunk of ice broke off, a huge chunk of ice. And at first it was a small gap, but even expanded out to a mile. And someone who realized what had happened understood that they could not save themselves. They could not drive their car or their snowmobile across the water to get back to land. They realized that they were salvifically poor. And so what did they do? They cried out to the ones that could save them. They cried out to the, uh, what's it called, the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard came by boat and by helicopter to come and rescue these people. And one of the most fascinating things of this whole story to me is that when the helicopter came to rescue some people, some people didn't even know they were in danger. They were just fishing and a helicopter showed up. They had no idea that they were broken off from the mainland. 
But here you see that in that instance, those who recognized and understood that salvifically they could not save themselves, that they were salvifically poor, they cried out to others to come and to save them. And David is saying, listen, this is what the Lord does. If you realize that you cannot save yourself, if you call out to the Lord, he will save you. And so this is the encouragement. Those who know they need saving are those who should fear the Lord. Verse seven continues, it says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear the Lord and delivers them. We'll come back to that later in the sermon. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And then here is the command, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. And so who is it that the Bible calls to fear the Lord? Who is it that verse nine calls to fear the Lord? It is not sinners, it is saints. It is those who are believers, those who have been made righteous by the blood of Christ. He is calling holy ones, set apart ones, the people of God to fear the Lord. He's calling you and me to fear the Lord. You see, unbelievers should fear the Lord as a just judge, but they don't. That's why they're unbelievers. They should fear God is coming one day to judge the living and dead. If they did fear the Lord, they would trust in the Lord. They don't fear the Lord. But it's for believers that we are called to fear the Lord. And so let me ask you this question. Do you fear the Lord? Maybe in a, in a, in a, in a big way you do, but on a daily basis, do you fear the Lord? I had the pleasure and torment of considering this question all week. And, and at the beginning of the week, I said, yeah, you know, I think I fear the Lord because I do this and the world does this. And so I think, but, but as I processed it more, I realized, you know what? There is a gap in my fear. And the reason I know it is because I entertain sin. Uh, there is sin that I entertain. There's sin that I love. And, and I would not do that if I had a proper fear of the Lord. Does that make sense? And so even I encourage you to consider this week, do I fear the Lord? Where do I need to grow in my fear of the Lord? And that really leads us to the next point. So who should fear the Lord? Everyone, but especially the saints should fear the Lord. But how should we fear the Lord? Look at verse 11 with me. David says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And so he's about to instruct us on that. Verse 12, he says, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Uh, this is kind of a side comment that fearing the Lord, just like fearing your earthly father, uh, principally leads to longer days, okay? But this is where he then starts to teach us. He says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. You see, if we fear the Lord, it should affect how we talk, what we say, what we tweet, what we type. You will be careful not to slander others because you, are know, you know that they are made in the image of God. You'll be careful not to use the Lord's name in vain because you know that is not what he wants. You will be careful not to let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth because he commands that it wouldn't be so. You will also be careful to speak the truths of God, regardless of consequence. And you'll be careful to speak the truths of your situation. And the reason is because you know that the Lord knows the truth and he is listening and hearing to what you say and what you type and what you tweet. And if it is inconsistent, it is unpleasing to the Lord. 
Recently, there was a man uh, who came before our presbytery uh, for candidacy, and they asked him if he had any sin struggles in his life. And the man was honest. He was shockingly honest. He was brutally honest, so much so that it took the committee uh, a little bit off guard because they didn't expect such candor. Why would someone be this honest about their own sin struggles? Well, the only explanation I can give is that this candidate feared God more than he did the approval of these men in the room. This man knew that God knew the truth and to withhold it from this committee would be offensive to God. And so listen, if, if, you, if you lie on your taxes, one of the reasons is because you do not fear the Lord. If you lie to your spouse or if you lie to your parents, it is because you do not fear the Lord. The Lord is passionate about truth. And so the first way we fear the Lord is by keeping our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. And then David continues, verse 14, he says, turn away from evil and do good. And so not only does the fear of the Lord affect our words, but it also affects our actions. Now, to be clear, we know what is good and evil, not by our own imagination. Uh, our hearts are corrupt. They are filled with wickedness. We know what is good and what is evil based on the word of God. God tells us what is right and what is good and what is evil. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says this, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of God. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Again, I think about how I entertain sin in my life, and it is a recognition that, man, I got a long way to go in fearing the Lord. I can act really perfect around other people because I fear other people's opinions, but what if we feared the pleasure, the, what if we feared God as much as we feared the opinion of others? Verse 14, he says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. God delights in peacemakers because God is the ultimate peacemaker. Jesus is the prince of peace. Jesus is also the price of peace. God is passionate about peace. And so this is how we please the Lord whom we fear is by seeking peace with others. And so how do we fear the Lord? Fear the Lord in what we say and don't say. Fear the Lord in what we do and don't do. Fear the Lord by seeking peace with others. Finally, why should we fear the Lord? And this is the most detailed of the points. There is the most uh, content of this in this passage because David is trying to help us understand the benefits, the benefits of growing our fear for the Lord. First, uh, we are to fear the Lord to enjoy satisfaction in God. Verse 8. Again, we covered this last week, but it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. These are words of satisfaction, of tasting and of seeing. And it's not a satisfaction for the stomach or for the eyes, but it's a satisfaction for our souls. Verse 9, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Literally, they have no need, no want, no deficiency. Those who fear the Lord, who tremble at the glory of the Lord, the beauty of the Lord, the grace and forgiveness of the Lord, those who fear the Lord have an overflowing soul, even when they are in a needy situation, like David was. Augustine 
once put it this way famously. He said, thou has made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless, or you could say unsatisfied, until it finds its rest in these. Another way of thinking of it is that all of us were created with a God-shaped hole in our heart. And we can try to fill it with money. We can try to fill it with power. We can try to fill it with romance. But we will never be satisfied, no matter what we put in that hole, until we put God in that hole. Verse 10, he continues, and he says, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Again, just reaffirming that those who fear the Lord will be satisfied. Proverbs 19.23 says it this way, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. <laughs> that's, how we, that's why we have to distinguish between being afraid and the fear of the Lord is that the fear of the Lord makes you satisfied, not scared. And so as we consider this, a question to ask is what fear dominates your life? Is it a fear of death because you're going to die unless Jesus returns? Is it a fear of not being able to retire someday? Because even if you can, retirement doesn't mean you're going to be satisfied. Matter of fact, you won't be satisfied with retirement alone. Is it fear that, that something will happen to one of your loved ones? Because chances are it probably will happen. See, satisfaction, complete Soul satisfaction is only found in the Lord. And so that's the first reason why, to satisfy our souls. The second is to experience the nearness of God. Look at verse 15. He says, the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The righteous being those who fear the Lord, it is to them that God is attentive, that God is near to them. Verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. And so the Lord cuts off the evil ones, but those who fear the Lord, he draws near, he hears their cries. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. And then maybe the most popular verse in this psalm, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This is a promise for those who fear the Lord, that as they are burdened and seemingly crushed by the sin and sorrows in their own life and in this world, that God is near. Why fear the Lord? To enjoy satisfaction of our soul, to experience the nearness of God, and finally to employ deliverance by God. Look at verse 6. Deliverance is really throughout this passage. It's a pretty dominant theme in this psalm. It appears four different times, but let me just point out a few. Verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Uh, when I read this, I think of 2 Kings chapter 6. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, the king of Syria is warring against Israel. And one of Elijah's servants goes out and he sees all of these chariots and horses surrounding them. And he is afraid for his life. And so he goes to Elijah the prophet and he says, what should we do? And Elijah says, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now the servant must think at this point, Elijah is crazy. But Elijah goes to the Lord and prays that he would open his servant's eyes to see. 
And so we read this. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. And then the Lord delivers them by striking them with blindness. We are told that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. The Lord has an invisible battle going on on our behalf. Verse 19 continues. Not only is the deliverance uh, in this world, but also, more importantly, for all eternity. Verse 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Make sure you hear that. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And so deliverance in this world does not mean that you do not have afflictions. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's a pretty bold statement. That's a pretty bold promise. Really, God delivers us out of all of our afflictions? The answer is yes. The question isn't if, it's when. I have a friend uh, who is wrestling with cancer, and she says to me, Pastor Dan, I know, I know I'm going to be healed. I just don't know when. I don't know if it's in this world or the world to come. And she's right. Deliverance is promised. There is going to be restoration, maybe in this world, but for sure in the world to come. The Lord delivers us out of all of our afflictions. Verse 20 continues. It says, he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. This may sound familiar. This was David's experience, but it also foreshadows the coming of Christ. And when Christ died on the cross, he died very quickly. So they didn't break his bones. And in John 19, it says, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. You see, the cross is a great reminder to us that The righteous will have great afflictions and that even in the midst of our afflictions, the Lord delivers his people and he either delivers us from the affliction or he delivers us through the affliction. But either way, the Lord delivers his people. Verse 21, affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be Condemned, And so again, both the righteous and unrighteous will suffer afflictions. There's no difference there. The difference is, is that the righteous, those who fear the Lord, will be delivered. And those who do not fear the Lord will be condemned. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. When we fear in the Lord, when we trust in the Lord for our salvation... We need not fear his condemnation. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, my prayer is that you would be afraid of the Lord, that you would fear God's fairness, his justice, his punishment for your sin, that you would repent of your sins, trust in Christ for your salvation, and then fear the Lord, not as a just judge, but as a loving father. And so just to recap, who should fear the Lord? Everyone should, but the call is especially to believers who know who God is. How should we fear the Lord? By putting to death evil words and evil actions and by being peacemakers. And why should we fear the Lord? For the satisfaction of our souls, to draw near to God and to employ his deliverance. Let me end with a, uh, I guess it's two illustrations, more of a story and an illustration. But... um, about a decade ago, there was a movement called the Insiders Movement. Uh, you can Google it and read more about it. But it, the Insiders Movement was uh, 
fostered by some missionaries uh, specifically to Muslims, more particularly probably in the Middle East. And the insider movement, what they wanted to do is they wanted to remove the offensive language from the Bible. Those, that, those things that were offensive to Muslims. And so the offensive language that was found in the Bible that they wanted to remove were the words father and son. Specifically, God is father and Jesus as son. And one of the reasons they wanted to remove father, um, not the only reason, but one of the reasons is because so many fathers in their culture were harsh and abusive. It is epidemic. And so to call God father is very confusing. You know, all of us here today have a sinful father, but some of you here today have a horrendous father. And so when we talk about fearing God as our father, it just does not connect for you. There is triggers of trauma that makes you say, I don't know what this fear looks like. And my prayer is that God, by the grace of his spirit, would show you what a good, good father looks like and what it looks like to fear a father in a way that makes you want to draw near to him, not run away from him, okay? The second is this. I want to end with a country song because it's the best music out there. And, um, and it's a song that I think really epitomizes a lot of what we have been saying here today uh, in this passage, what this psalm says, right? This is a, this, I guess we could say this is a contemporary psalm, uh, this country song. And, uh, but it's called Daddy's Hands. Have, have any of you heard of this song, Daddy's Hands? Okay, some of you have. Here are the lyrics, and I think it's up here on the screen as well. I remember daddy's hands folded silently in prayer and reaching out to hold me when I had a nightmare. You could read quite a story in the callous and lines. Years of work and worry had left their mark behind. I remember daddy's hands, how they held my mama tight and patted my back for something done right. There are things that I've forgotten that I loved about the man, but I'll always remember the love in daddy's hands. I remember daddy's hands working till they bled, sacrificed unselfishly just to keep us all fed. If I could do things over, I'd live my life again and never take for granted the love in daddy's hands. And then here's the part I really want to focus on. This is the chorus. Daddy's hands were soft and kind when I was crying but daddy's hands were hard as steel when I'd done wrong. Daddy's hands weren't always gentle, but I've come to understand there was always love in daddy's hands. Verse nine, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him will have no lack. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that in Christ, we don't need to be afraid of you, but we can fear you as a God who is involved in our life. Fear you as this awesome and amazing creator and sustainer of the universe. Fear, fear you as a good father who will not allow us to go down paths of destruction, but will discipline us for our good to bring us back into the way of everlasting life. And so God, pray this week, that you would grow our fear of you, that we might worship you and enjoy you and draw near to you as a good father. Bless us with this by the grace of your Holy Spirit, we pray. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, as we turn to the Lord's table, we are reminded that Jesus was, in many ways, very afraid of the cross. Because at the cross, God was going to pour out the wrath of sin that you and I deserve. And so if you're here today trusting in Christ for your salvation, this is to remind you that you no longer need to be afraid of God, but that you can fear him as your loving heavenly father. And this is for you to nourish you in his love, to draw you close to him. If you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, we are so glad that you are here. But we ask that you not partake of these elements because there is a warning that those who eat and drink this in an unworthy manner eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so we ask that you would not partake today, but come talk to me and let us talk what it means to fear the Lord and to trust in the Lord and draw close to the Lord. If I could have the elders come forward at this time. And we will have stations set up throughout the sanctuary. Again, remember, go out your row, turn left. When you take communion, take left. Keep taking lefts until you get back to your seat, okay? And uh, hold the elements, and we will partake together as one body, the body of Jesus Christ. not done this in a while, I will remind you that the silver cups are gluten-free. <laughs> 